Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally yours. From Ellen and Yvette, uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours, mentally yours, mentally yours. So we've just finished the first Mentally Yours live. A live version of our podcast, Mentally Yours, which is a weekly podcast for Metro.co.uk. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And yeah, it went well. There was applause and questions and people actually stayed and ate the cake, which is good. So yeah, if you just, well, I guess you will just be tuning into this now because this is the introduction. We're going to be chatting about mental health at work. It is recorded live and we have an expert panel. So it's a bit different from usual. Could you please each introduce yourselves? Hello, my name is Carl Anker and I am a journalist and broadcaster, sometimes on the BBC, sometimes on CNN, CNN. loads of different publications, <laughs> sometimes it's about mental health, sometimes about sport, sometimes about comic books, sometimes it's about Game of Thrones, hooray. Um, and I have been diagnosed with uh, depression and severe anxiety since January 7th, 2017. I was an episode of Mentally Yours explaining the build-up to my diagnosis and the immediate aftermath of the diagnosis and what work I've done with mental health charities afterwards. So I've worked with Time to Change, Mind and Calm. So I was in part of the Best Man campaign with Calm last year uh, with <laughs> Prince William. Um, that was odd. He doesn't like being photographed on one side of his face. Um, so that's what I do. Hi, I'm Pragya and um, I was on Mentally Yours uh, talking about my social enterprise, which is about creativity and mental health. And I did a talk about how creativity can support mental health. I've written extensively about my own experience with PND and bullying. And um, I write for Forbes about workplace and mental health. And uh, I run... Uh, 
workshops and talks on unconscious bias and gender bias and racial inequalities and I run a feminist parenting course as well. Hello, I'm Matthew, Matthew Todd. I'm a shirtless Instagram star. Not really. Um, <laughs> who'd have thought? Um, I was editor of Attitude magazine, the UK's best-selling gay magazine and I'm the author of a book called Straight Jacket, um, which is about LGBT mental health. I too got Prince William to appear on the cover of a gay magazine, and he and he said, um, "Don't don't don't put on the cover that I'm coming out because you'll upset my wife," which was fun. It was a strange, very strange experience. But yeah, talking about LGBT mental health, and I write for the Guardian, and um, it's weird. We go straight in there with the confessional stuff. But I'm a recovering alcoholic. Woo! It's such a strange thing to go and telling people you don't know that because it's not like a massive thing in my life. But that's what we talked a bit about that um, when I did uh, the, the podcast. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Hello, I'm Natasha Devon, and my bum is a bit too big for this chair sorry I've just got to right more comfortable now hi <laughs> hi everyone um, I'm Natasha Devon I'm a campaigner I work in schools and colleges throughout the UK um, doing lessons with teenagers on mental health and related issues like body image um, I was also uh, a guest on mentally yours when my book a beginner's guide to being mental came out which is an A to Z on everything to do with mental health um, I'm the founder of a campaign called where's your head at to improve workplace mental health through law change and I'm also the presenter of a show called Naked Beach which I am missing to be here tonight so Yvette Ellen that is how much I'm I love sorry. you it's totally fine babes to continue the confessional bit uh, I have OCD and depression and Yvette has bipolar disorder so yeah hey. now we're all equal in sharing our personal traumas yeah so cool we can get started Ready, Carl? You're a freelancer, and also you've worked at a lot of different places. Without naming names, mm. which we've discussed, what are places getting wrong and right about mental health in the workplace from your experience? There is a point I bring up a lot with my mom and my dad about how very often it is the work of the majority to make you feel bad for pointing out a line in the sand as if you put it there yourself. So I think it's good. We're, we're now in a position where, hooray, more people are going, I don't, I can't go to work because I've got a mental health issue. Advice is autobiographical and I only speak for myself. Um, if I want to take a mental health day off work, I will still call in sick and say I have a headache. But I think there is a growing understanding that people are doing that. Um, so things are better, but not that much better and there is the idea of i'm a freelancer i don't particularly want to be a freelancer and the people i meet in my walk of life who have similar conditions are also freelancers and every now and again we raise our eyebrows and go are we freelancers via choice or are we freelancers because the full-time working environment in the united kingdom in 2019 is completely incompatible with living with a mental health condition um and to that i don't know uh i hope the answer is no i actually did choose to be freelance instead of being no i'm just i get sad sometimes and therefore people view me as unreliable and therefore i cannot go to a place of work every single day but i don't know and that makes me happy and sad because there's no definitive proof but there is that lingering drill so I believe we're in a better place now because we have great awareness that 
people at work have mental health conditions and that we should view mental health conditions in the same way we view physical conditions. And if you if you can't manage to go into work because you have a migraine, then obviously if you don't feel so fit to go into work because you are feeling depressed, they should be on the same part. However, I also still think we're in a place where people in the workplace would be more comfortable saying, I'm not going to work because I have a migraine rather than because I just don't feel up to it today for reason x i think when you're talking about you're not sure if you're freelance because of <laughs> mental health or in benefit for it do you think freelancing has benefits for mental health it's a, a big bouncing curve it's great i i can i do all the work but i don't get any of the benefits mm. in that i have the freedom to take off time when i don't feel great to work however in my head i don't really have a pension i don't really have savings if i take time off to go on holiday it comes out of my own pocket because i'm my own boss however i don't have to do the imagined conversation with the big boss and say i have acute anxiety and i i've never had that conversation it is an imagined one in my head, but I know it's out there and I know it exists. And I know I've had that conversation with people who have pretended to not be that evil imagined boss and have later on turned out to be one. So I, I once worked at a company that gave it the big I am about men's mental health. They plastered all over their publication. And like, yep, we care about men's mental health. We absolutely believe this. We have a whole campaign about this. And this is what we believe in. This is what we care. Uh, and they were breaking EU working laws and making us all do a ridiculous amount of overtime. And at least three members of staff had to take time off due to overwork. And as we now know, workplace stress can cause mental health similar conditions and, and making us incredibly depressed and I thought hey boss I'm like really sad and I don't want to come into work anymore because of the way you make us work and he just sort of shrugged and went that's that's just the cold face right now you have to get on with it uh, and then later on when we were removed from our positions in less than legal circumstances uh, one superior made comment onto my social media post going oh yeah I know you don't like this job I've seen your social media posts so what's the big deal the big deal is you've tried to shatter my brain and I hate you. And that's hard because, like I said, no no employer, I don't think any employer or any boss right now is want, views themselves as the villain, views themselves as the, we don't want to hire people with mental health conditions, but they're there. And is it scarier that they're there and they don't know it? Or is it scarier that there are people out there that do know it? And I don't know. And it's a it's an odd one to, to balance. Pragya, can we move on to you and also talking about bullying at work? Because when you came on Mentally Yours before, we had a brief chat about that. Um, obviously, bullying can happen to anyone in any workplace and negatively affect mental health. Um, how does it manifest itself at work and what can we do to tackle it? Bullying is a tricky one, actually, because, because it works in quite insidious ways sometimes, often, and it's very difficult to prove. Um, it's kind of a vicious cycle because once you start thinking that you're being bullied and if you start keeping track, which you're recommended to do, you become even more paranoid and then you it just starts that cycle. Um, and bullying makes the person who's being bullied feel ashamed and they feel that's the nature of bullying. The, the bullied person feels like it's their fault for being bullied. Because if I could just stand up to them, if I could just do a bit more, maybe I'm not doing enough work. Maybe I'm not coming into work that regularly. Maybe I'm not performing my job to the utmost or whatever, those kind of things. And bullying always also manifests not 
not in quite a direct attack, but also in a lot of things which I call microaggressions or micro invalidations, which are these, these mind, seemingly very minor comments, but they, they affect a lot. And um, it's about tiny things which can often be taken as jokes or humor and they can be passed off that, like that, but they they affect the mental health of the person who's being who's being targeted. Um, so yeah, so bullying is is quite a tricky one, and I I think from speaking from my own personal experience, it affected my mental health quite a lot, um, a lot. Um, which meant that, um, but it was very difficult to talk about it because you're in a very senior position and you think, oh, people, when you are in a senior position, you don't get bullied. It only happens in playgrounds and it, I can't get bullied because I'm in this position of power or whatever, um, of privilege. Um, but yes, um, um, is these, I think it's, it's, it has to about be about the workplace culture. Um, and I talk a lot about implicit bias and unconscious bias. And you were talking about these people who, these bosses who carry, the stigma is still there around mental health. Um, and even though this tokenistic efforts around mental health still exist about, maybe we should do more about mental health, but people don't talk about it more openly. So bullying is something people don't talk about or openly either. They don't talk about microaggressions. It has to be proper leadership which takes charge. It's about changing the culture of the workplace to become more positive. It's about training and openly talking about these things and creating a safe space where people are not judged for this, but that these conversations can happen, I think. And how can we support um, our colleagues yeah, I think it's about being good allies too. So I always say that if you see somebody um, being attacked or being targeted or even in meetings, like sometimes um, I work with organizations or with women or with men even who feel like they're being ignored or unacknowledged for the work they're doing. And that can amount to bullying as well. But the guidelines around bullying is very, very vague and you can't really prove it. Even if you go to HR, you not can't say I'm being bullied because it's very difficult to prove. So um, it's about the it's about, again, training and it's about talking and it's about people being aware that they can stand up to it. They can um, be good allies. They can support them. You can go and talk to them in a safe space, creating these kind of workshops maybe where people can voice their concerns or um, creating a space where kind of a feedback loop somehow that the people can talk about what's happening to them, how you can make. So it becomes a more participatory and collaborative process in a workplace rather than something that, okay, we are just working here like robots and we have to just do what we are told to do. Um, But I also feel like not your place to speak out for somebody because again it kind of dehumanizes that other person if you're speaking for that person it's kind of saying that you don't have a voice but you can maybe go and have a coffee with them maybe try and talk to them about it and say I you struggling or just empathy I think can be a great way to go. Matthew you've been kind of on both sides you've been an editor and kind of manage people been someone working in industry with your own struggles what have you seen kind of from both sides? What did you find challenging? What did you learn about managing people with mental health issues? You look panicked, but I trust your opinion because I think, you, yeah, you've experienced both sides of that. I was feeling quite panicked actually just yeah. hearing these guys talking about this stuff because I, I haven't worked <clears throat> in an office for about two and a half years. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know that much about this subject. And I'm just listening to it. I relate to so much of it about the anxiety of working at home. I feel like I probably couldn't work in an office at the moment. I do feel like 
I have an anxiety disorder. I don't wear it on my sleeve the whole time. It's not the defining thing in my life, but it was really, really hard when I was working in office, when I was, you know, not the, the editor and also when I was the editor, which brings this whole other group of problems. It's really difficult. I think talking about these issues are, it's so hard. It's opening a Pandora's box. It's like, how do we become nicer as a society? It's like one of these really hard questions. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Um, when I think of, you know, some of the uh, bigger companies I go around talking about LGBT issues and mental health and stuff, like big banks and corporations, and they're massive companies with, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds and stuff, and they put on nice events for the LGBT society or just for mental health. And it, you feel a lot of those times those companies are, are great. And it feels like, you know, they put them catering and it's nice and they care about people and they have open discussions and the managers will come. And sometimes I get the feeling, oh, you know, you're talking about the LGBT stuff about, you know, equality and making people feel like they're able to be who they are at work and not have to hide in the closet and so on. And then I think, well, how do you actually treat them actually in their day to day general jobs? Are you working them and whipping them well, faster, harder or just making people feel inadequate if they're not working really, really hard? So there's that level. But also, you know, my experience managing Attitude, it was a mid level business with, I don't know, 16, 17 people. And it was really, really hard because, you know, sitting here now and thinking, yes, I want to support people in their mental health. I was run off my feet. It was really, really hard just keeping the magazine going. It made me really stressed, made me ill, actually. And so and there, and there were times there was someone who was drinking in the office. Um, that was really hard. I, I don't know how how you manage that. Who tells you how to manage that? It was really difficult because I wanted to help him. But also, he, you know, need to be a responsible, you know, boss in that, that situation. So it was really, really hard. And so to say to people, I, I love the idea of people being able to phone up and say, um, oh, I'm having a mental health day, not coming in. But, but in my position, <laughs> I'd be like, what? what? What the hell are you doing? How am I going to get this done? It's really stressful. And I guess maybe, as I was saying earlier, th these are kind of um, open to, to wider discussions about the way the world works. And I don't want to sound like a GCSE politics student, but like capitalism and just the, just the way it works, because I do think we need to reorder the, the way we think. And it's really interesting over the last few years, the discussion that you guys are leading and you know all about mental health and the, you know the rules and all the rest of it it is opening a Pandora's box because so many people have mental health problems I mean it just everywhere you look in all families in all workplaces and even things you might not even necessarily know were a problem like with my alcohol problem I, I had no idea you know like lots of people around me were drinking as much as I was or worse than than I was you know so it was, it was hard to confront that and also I have experience of you know, this idea that you, you can be open, uh, it, was just, it was quite hard. You know, some, I told a couple of staff members when I went into recovery about it, thinking that it was a positive thing. I felt like they, they should know. I started writing about it in the magazine. And certainly one of them was very judgmental about it, I found out afterwards. And I know of another case, someone I know who's who is uh, in recovery, and he had told his bosses, he'd been sober for a few years, and he told his bosses, and at a Christmas party, he relapsed and got drunk, and it was a little bit messy, but I don't think it was a disaster. But because they knew he was an alcoholic, they fired him. And they wouldn't have fired him if, if he'd just been a general person who just got drunk at a party. So these are really, really complicated uh, problems for all of us. If you were in that position again now, if you were leading a team of people, what I, I think discussing do? it is really, really important. But I also think, you know, it's been interesting with my book. Sometimes I meet people, I think LGBT mental health specifically, not really been talked about before because 
gay culture has been very much on the defensive because we've been attacked, you know, and, uh, you know, it's been illegal to be gay, you know, not, not that long ago. So I get quite strong reactions from people, which is really amazing. You know, people say, oh, my God, you know, we're talking about this at last. It really makes sense to me. And so there's some, some people I notice that then uh, define themselves by are living with this condition or living with that condition. And I sometimes worry whether, you know, is that a good is that a good place to be? Can it be can it be too much to be focusing too much on that? yourself like like i said you know i'm a recovering alcoholic but it's such a strong word that it does not define me at all i don't think about it in my day-to-day -day life anymore nearly five years sober it's it's thing that i do but it, you know it's, it's not the overriding thing i guess talking about it but just tr trying to you know allow people to be less stressed and, and and able to talk about the issues and not forced to feel like you know that if they make a mistake they are going to be fired. fired. My issue, which I think is interesting, that I think some of these problems come from from us. You know, my thing was that I felt so bad growing up. I thought I have to be perfect. So at work, that was the way. Perfectionism. I'll be there till midnight. I'll work really hard. I'll impress the bosses. I'll do, and that that made me ill too. So I think maybe just yeah, just discussing it like we're doing is a really positive, important thing. All of you have said um, about kind of the tokenistic gestures versus the actual changes so kind of open to all of you what's the difference how can we tell the difference between things that are just done you know to say we're mental health friendly and what are the actual concrete things that businesses can do to make sure their workers are happy um i would think that what i think something that i touched on just now um, is rather than um, focusing just on mental health or creating these wellness days or creating a yoga studio or a calm zone or these kind of things are good to support mental health but need to think about kind of the systemic underlying issues that are affecting the mental health at work in the first place because mental health can be because of work and you touch on that about the stress and anxiety and it's about that culture that is created in it i know from academia myself as being a woman in stem and engineering being a woman of color um, again there was so much pressure to prove myself and so i had to work doubly hard than anybody else to prove myself and i was a mud single parent and so again there's kind of biases i had to show no that doesn't affect my work in any way so i think it's about a workplace which is personalized to individuals. You can't have a fixed template, a cutout that you can impose. And I don't know how that will work in large organizations. Natasha, do you feel we need to change the law? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, and, and this is actually really pertinent to me at the moment because um, a very good friend of mine's ex-partner um, recently, just last week, took his life. And I spoke to her on the phone today and she was saying that all over social media, people are talking about him and saying, oh, you know, we just need to reach out to each other and you know maybe we should have a day a week where we all talk about our mental health and she said it's making me feel like crap because it's making me feel like as his friend I didn't talk to him but I did I talked to him all the time about his mental health and sometimes just your friends checking in with you isn't enough the structure the help has to be there um, and so the, the where's your head at campaign it's it's to get parity between mental health and physical health for first aid there has to be a provision for physical health first aid in all workplaces so if you cut yourself 
yourself or need an ambulance or whatever, somebody knows the protocol. You can go on a mental health first aid course and it will teach you if your colleague is having a panic attack or they're exhibiting extreme stress or even if they're suicidal, it teaches you what to say, what not to say and what it's appropriate to recommend in terms of, of help and support. That's not going to cure all mental illness. There's a lot of evidence to show that the first person that reaches out to you or you talk to, their attitude can be really instrumental in your recovery pathway. But I'm not saying that this is going to to magically solve everything. But what I am saying is that it would be a, a good start in this parity that we keep being promised by government. And the government keep using this argument and they use it in relation to a lot of things. And it makes no sense. So they, the first time I became aware of it, they said, we're not going to ring fence mental health funding because some local authorities might want to spend more than what they're given and it will become a ceiling. Um, now, we know that in 50% of cases, local authorities aren't spending the amount that they're given on uh, for mental health provision. We know that for children and young people's mental health, it's about £5 per young person who needs mental health care. It's nowhere near enough. But they're saying, well, you know, they might want to, to spend more, so we don't want it to become a ceiling. With mental health first aid, their argument is, well, there's lots of employers out there who are doing more than just mental health first aid. So if we make mental health first aid mandatory, that will become a flaw. They're obsessed with ceilings and floors, these people. If it would become a flaw. Um, and so we have this situation where there are some people out there, and, and just like you said, they tend to be the small to medium-sized enterprises who their bosses really get it. They're very invested in, in mental health and, and they're getting a lot. Other people being actively bullied for having mental health issues at work. And there's absolutely no consistency. And that's why I think structural change, law change, is the only way that we're going to begin to, to achieve that. First of all, um, we need to... First of all, change change the law, I think, around um, mental health first aid or, and also sick days and, and the way that we view that. I also think culturally, I mean, we've talked about perfectionism and we've talked about stress. I'm actually in the process of, of writing another book at the moment and it's for teenagers. And, and the idea was um, I, I was trying to explore, say it's a Venn diagram, if wellness is here, well-being is here and academic achievement is here. I thought there must be an overlap. There must be if it was a Venn diagram, a little slither there where where the two overlap. And then what I very quickly discovered through my research is that those two circles sit on top of each other. <laughs> because in fact, stress um, is, is meant to be a short term mechanism. It, it was for when we were living a kind of tribal existence, when we were being chased by predators. And you get this little cortisol injection, which is meant to feel uncomfortable. And it's meant to spur you into physical action to dissipate that feeling. Now we're very sedentary. We're sitting at desks, a lot of us, and we're consistently stressed, which means that we're getting these regular injections of cortisol, which build up and build up and build up. And over time, that not, can not only induce feelings of depression, it um, impairs your cognitive ability. It stops you from remembering things. Um, it stops you from being able to make decisions. Your thinking becomes fuzzy. So if you are overworking your employees, it is completely counterproductive. And I think we need to stop fetishizing overwork because you know that like, oh, I was in the office until 2am and I got four hours sleep. It's the one floor everyone's pre uh, prepared to admit to, isn't it? We should stop applauding that, all of us, I think. For a long time, there was a the concept that work is therapy. You mm. wake up, you go do your job. That thing is where you work out any issues you have, then you go home. And we know all the reports about how work-life balance is completely smushed right now. We're all doing overtime. We're not getting paid overtime. Benefits are at all-time low, the NHS is being crushed to oblivion, um, and 
when you say, what can we do to fix stuff in the workplace? We need to realize work is not therapy. Therapy is therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the best times when I ever sorted out my mental health is when I worked for a company that went, here is some healthcare. You get a hundred pound for whatever to do. So I saw a therapist for the very first time and I've kept doing that even though I've changed my route and whatever. I went, oh, this is what I needed. Not a banner or beers on a Friday or a ping pong table and whatnot. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm very, very conscious of the fact that I'm talking about mental health issues and I'm in a bookstore in West London and I'm wearing like glasses like this and I'm talking like this in this voice. Um, and I'm aware of my massive privileges that have allowed me to come to this point and realize the mental health problems I have and, and the work I'm able to reconcile upon myself. And the one I always do is, I went to all the correct schools and did all the correct things and I didn't realize what was going on in my life and how work is not therapy and that I needed proper therapy, I needed proper help to reconcile the issues I had until it all went to near rock bottom. And I spent a lot of time playing rugby. I spent a lot of time, I used to be in the army cadets. I spent a lot of time growing up in not a great area of London and talking to people that didn't have those advantages. And my idea is when you have friends that go up to you and go, mate, sometimes I just feel like crying. Uh, what do you mean? You know, I just don't know. I just like burnt my toast and I feel like crying. I'm going, there is something clearly there. That, and you, how do you help someone reconcile something that they cannot reconcile within themselves? Because there is very, very poor equipment given to them from age five. Um, and yeah, it is GCSE politics students ago. The problem is capitalism, but it it is right. Um, well, so I work with teenagers and I say put the teenagers in charge. They'd be better than the lot that are. Um, someone said one of my main problems with like patriarchal capitalism is that you've had over 2,000 years to create a system. Why have you created one so disappointing that beats up 80% of people? Uh, uh, yeah, well, this, this current system we live in sucks, right? Unless you have a lot of money or went to the right school or know the right person, you will be, to some level, inconvenienced in life. Unless you look the right way or have the right amount of money, there is something in life that is going, no, not really, and will push you back. And that push and pull will depend on how many decisions you can make and do whatever. There's a very, very good MIT study that basically says if you're born in the United States, it will take 20 years of correct decisions to work your way out of poverty in the United States. 20 years of correct decisions. Um, you hear stuff like that, you hear about how people living in poverty basically have higher rates of PTSD. Um, so 20 years of correct decisions, and maybe, maybe, maybe your kids won't grow up in a situation where they're just like, yeah, and then every now and again, someone comes along and just takes something I care about from me. We hear that in England as well, though, don't we, about statistics about people living in poverty and then sort of there's much higher rates of mental health issues and then people sort of go, oh, you know, is it, but, but is it really that much of a surprise? But anyway. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it, it's very hard to conceptualize because it's just a figure on a page, right? So if you know about the monkey spear, about how your brain can only really count 150 people on the same way you count yourself. So when someone tells me 20,000 people did something, I'm like, cool, that sounds like a big number and a lot. And my brain now, I like a lot of football. So I go, 20,000 people, that is that football stadium over there. Every man, woman, and child in that football stadium is depressed. And I'm like, that's a lot of people. What are we doing? Um, and that's a way I think I've got better at conceptualizing 
and explaining stuff to people. And and when you read reports about like governmental, oh yeah, we're really trying with mental health things and more people are in work. I'm like, no, I know how you fudge the stats for work. Anyone that has one hour is therefore deemed fit to work. Always. And you're like, no, that's not good. Um, and then you understand that how do I put this nicely? We'll edit out the swearing. Um, Are we editing out the no, swearing? No, swearing's fine. Oh, no, right. It is, it is very hard for me to be positive and happy about mental health and the idea of mental health in the workplace when I see so many people in power not give a shit. And I went from going, why don't you give a shit, to realizing, oh, your entire life you've created structures so you never have to interact with someone who is affected by this. You not giving the shit is the point. The cruelty is the point is a common matter for a lot of uh, left-wing politics that I find quite, find quite interesting. Why is it that the government is going, oh yeah, let's just keep cutting NHS mental health funding. Oh no, never mind, just keep going. Just keep going. Why? Just, the cruelty is the point. It is a distraction to stop you from doing the things you want to do. Because that is what living with a mental health condition can sometimes feel like. And I'm aware my depression is a distraction from the stuff I want to do. I want to be happy. I want to eat ice cream and enjoy a summer day and go look at a dog and go, that's nice. I want to have greater reasons to live than go, I kind of want to see Game of Thrones. I want to be able to sit in an office from Monday to Friday and be like, cool. I want to be able to be complimented on something good about myself and believe it. The mental health stuff distracts me from that and it makes it hard for me to accept those things and hard for me to live life the way I want to live my life. And how I reckon, like reconcile that and solve that requires help. And that help is being held by people that should know better but don't for reasons that make me furious. And how we fix that requires direct political action, really. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, people don't give a shit and who should, because sometimes they don't know how to give a shit, maybe yes. what to do to give a shit. But coming back to the whole notion of mental health in the workplace and talking about pressure and anxiety and stress, I just want to say, I think it's about not about the workplace, but <laughs> the way of work, which you say about how we work. I think we need to look at that. And, and then coming back to freelance is sometimes seen as kind of panacea to mental health people like me or others who think, oh, I can't work in this system and I am very anxious and I can't go in and I can't face people and I don't get the support. So I'm just going to work for myself because I can sit on the sofa and watch Netflix because when I don't feel like working and it's absolutely fine. But I realized it is not the solution because I'm still so stressed. I work till two or three in the morning and I don't have people to talk to and loneliness is a huge issue when you're a self-employed entrepreneur and I think we need to talk more about that kind of the way we work as well and it's about all the things you say on see on social media that people are working so much and producing so much and all the pressures that it creates as well so I think it's about yes about the way we work is some we need to reevaluate that something so I can, can I ask each of you now um what do you think we can be doing to improve mental health in the workplace overall. Natasha? I mean, I, th I think it's interesting when we talk about freelancers because um, I actually found the, the opposite 
to be true in so far as particularly at the beginning of a freelance journey, you very much have this mentality of I'm going to make hay while the sun shines and every piece of work that comes my way, I have to grab it because I don't know in six months time whether I'll still have that work. And then it's really difficult to let go of that mentality. So you find yourself going, oh, I I just won't have a holiday this year or I'll just work through this weekend. And um, I find that I've put more pressure on myself than any boss I've ever had. has. And um, it's interesting, there's there's a guy called uh, Dr. Thomas Curran, who has just done a TED talk on perfectionism. And it's great. I recommend it to to everyone. Um, But what his research find is the higher you score on a perfectionism scale, the more vulnerable you are to mental health problems. And perfectionism, the way you would know if you're a perfectionist, it's things like um, having a constant kind of self-bashing rhetoric, feeling like nothing you ever do is good enough, constantly comparing yourself to others, other people's opinion of you being very instrumental in how you define yourself. um, And also sometimes not partaking in things that you suspect you won't be good at, um, because that would be devastating for your self-esteem. So nothing has intrinsic value um, to, to a perfectionist. They have to kind of be the best. And I think we're all on a scale of that. And what his research shows is that from our earliest moments, we are born into a culture which is relentlessly persuading us that we are not good enough and that we need to consume in order to rectify that. And that is what starts the perfectionist mindset from a really early age, basically as soon as we are exposed to advertising and capitalism. So really, I know we keep coming back to this, but the only proper solution is revolution (laughs) (laughs) what would you like workplaces and managers to do differently all right on a practical level uh, this is my advice to everyone stop eating your lunch at your desk like (laughs) get up go to another desk eat there eat outside when you can i know it's cold britain's oppressive um but like change your environment for little things at lunch one thing that i do that improves my workplace anytime i get a compliment i have a little folder on my desktop and i screen grab an email and someone goes good job or tells me oh that was a really good thing you did and i screen grab it and i stick it in the folder so anytime imposter syndrome kicks in i'm going oh my god i'm crap my job i'm incompetent i can just go i'll click that compliment folder and go oh wait no i'm i was good three weeks ago cool cool um one thing we're talking about about like time uh, and and this is a big problem we have right now i'm, I'm freelance and I keep coming back to the fact that in Kensington talking to people about mental health, so I need to couch this with not my job is universal. But managers are not as time sensitive as they used to be. People are overworked from top to bottom. Uh, they're underpaid. They're trying to figure stuff out. Um, you will not earn your manager's respect by just sitting there and working harder because your manager does not have enough time to notice you sitting there and working harder and powering through and going through whatever pain is going on right now. If you are in a job and you don't like what's going on in your job, your manager will respect you more by going, we need to talk. Because if that manager is a manager, part of their job is to manage you and manage your hopes and dreams and how it can make you less unhappy. I'm currently doing that with an employer of mine going, you you can't keep doing this to me, otherwise I'm gonna leave. like that is a thing you need to do uh something that really really makes me angry is when all these companies go we're like a big family work is not your family your family is your family and your family does not have to be your blood relations your family is the networks of people you make your friends your coaches whoever you go to church or whatever place of worship you go to when people say work is your family what they're trying to say is we want to spend so much time here that you don't spend any time with anyone else Mm -hmm. now that is a trick 
Or maybe you like people you work with. That's fine. But when when that happens, be aware of that. Be aware of the company that talks about how work is a family but doesn't have an HR department. Be aware of the place that gives you free beer on a Friday <laughs> but doesn't give you healthcare. Be aware of the place that doesn't give you uh, travel amenities but wants to talk so much about how maybe, maybe in six months, you get flown out to the New York office. Be aware of things like that. Uh, be aware of the Equalities Act. Be aware of EU um, staffing law of the fact that you can't do a night shift and then a morning shift back to back. You need eight hours sleep to do your job because if you keep doing that, you will be really, really sad. I'm not gonna say depressed, but like so sad, so sad. Um, these are things you need to be aware of. Something I talk about a lot when you go into any company is something that we used to do at university called the granddad system. So you're a first year, you've got one person above you in second year who looks after you as your dad. And then above you, you have two people who are responsible for you and a couple other people. So there are two people above you that know who you are, what you do, and whether or not you had breakfast today. Companies don't force those networks anymore because companies need to just fill in the churn and do things like new. If that happens, you have to go out and do it yourself. And a lot of these things about mental health is you have to be responsible to your, for yourself to a degree. I cannot, as the saying is, my mum says, I cannot come and die for you, unfortunately. Um, and one of my big things is I'm, I'm a black man, which I am the only black man in this room. Fun. Um, this happens to me a lot. So I have to, I have a, like a network on my phone of black men who do my job. Because when I get sad and go, is this job for me? I can't do this job. Is this job, does this world like black men doing what they do? I can phone up black men and people that look like me to go, yo, I'm like five years old than you and you're just doing the same thing that I was doing, bugging out five years ago. It's fine. If you are a minority person in a workplace and you feel as if your minority status is somehow impeding you or making you feel bad, find someone to mentor you. Just attach yourself like a limpet to that person. <laughs> because if you don't look after yourself and you don't look after people around you, no one else will. Right? Society got smashed to pieces by terrible, terrible governments and you now need to reforge some. And to do it, you need to roll up your sleeves, go out in the world and basically be like nice to each other, which is hard because there's a lot of fear in this world and it can be so easy to just do your one thing and go to work every single day and work really hard and eat your lunch at your desk because it's really, really hard because you want to keep your job and you don't get sacked because we're in a job crisis still. I think that's all we've got time for so we don't completely piss off Waterstones by staying really late. <laughs> I'm sorry. And we have a huge, huge round of applause for our wonderful panel. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.